This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hey, backpackers, this is Bird Shooter. And tonight on the show, Ken Strange joins us to talk about his recent book, It's Your Camino, which documents his around 500-mile hike through the countries of France and Spain with his wife, Aurora. In the podcast, Ken gives us some history of the Camino, talks about meeting and working with Martin Sheen, who you might recall from the hiking movie The Way, and gives us some tips on how to hike the Camino and publish a book about it. Ken has an interesting backstory. He's a retired FBI agent. He lived in uh, both Spain and Saudi Arabia and had a chance encounter while on the trail. It results in a TV interview about the disappearance of Annie McCarrick, who he knew from his childhood and whose case has never been solved. So tune in and learn more about Ken and his travels and flashback to episode 56 and 30 for two previous podcasts that will put the Camino solidly on your wish list. Here's the show. All right, this is Bird Shooter. I'd like to welcome Ken Strange to the show, who recently published It's Your Camino, about his roughly 500-mile hike in 31 days on the Camino de Santiago. And he is here this evening to tell us about his experience publishing a book, and hiking the trail. Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, Steve. Uh, nice to be with you. Absolutely. So um, first off, I have to ask you, uh, I understand that, that you, you didn't officially take a trail name. Is that right? So I'm going to be calling you Ken this whole this whole podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's fine. I, I do not have a trail name. Gotcha. And the same, the same for your wife, I take it, when she hiked. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the two of us. No. Hey, so just out of curiosity, I know that's kind of an American thing. I think it sort of really started on the Appalachian Trail, and a lot of Americans take trail names when they uh, do these long-distance hikes, but is it, do the foreign folks that hike long-distance, are you noticing that they take trail names? Well, we did not, uh, and we met, we met plenty of foreigners, uh, uh, plenty of people that uh, were seasoned hikers, uh, for, uh, for example, from Europe, from Australia, but uh, uh, nobody mentioned uh, trail names. It... Uh, if they were used, uh, they were not used uh, with us. Uh, but uh, no, I just I just didn't see that uh, didn't see that phenomena. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sure folks that have hiked in America, whether they're from another country or from America, probably take the trail names to the Camino. But it doesn't sound like it's uh, it's quite the thing that you maybe find here in the U.S. Right? Right. No, no. It's uh, I don't I don't think it is. But uh, you know, you, you never know. They could have been uh, giving the trail names behind our backs, and we didn't know it. <laughs> That's funny. I guess you never know, right? It sounds like you ran into a lot of people on your hike, and we're going to talk about that. Um, hey, before we get into that, so I understand you're from California. Um, I, I found your life very interesting, actually. As interesting as just doing the hike itself. Um, you want to just give some background about you know where you grew up and where you live now? I understand you were a scout. I work with the scouts to this day. Uh, I understand you taught school. I mean, I think you have a really interesting backstory. You want to kind of fill us in there? Yeah, well, um, you know, I was uh, born and, and pretty much raised in a little town called Brooklyn, New York. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, little. Just kidding. Um, so I started there and, uh, you know, lived in a, a pretty uh, a pretty interesting neighborhood to, uh, where you had friends all the time. Uh, the whole neighborhood was full of, of kids, from what I remember. But uh, I did uh, I did like uh, boy, the Boy Scouts. I joined a, a Boy Scout troop with my brother. And uh, this, this was kind of an opportunity to get out of uh, the city and to uh, e- explore the country, um, uh, the, the outdoors, uh, to go camping, camping overnight, camping in the winter. Uh, so it was just, just a marvelous experience. And I, and I think that kind of ignited, ignited in me the interest uh, for the outdoors, uh, the interest in, in hiking. So, uh, you know, I was in the Boy Scouts for a few years and then... Um, you know, I've uh, uh, actually I'm, I'm actually semi-retired uh, at this time, and I started out as a uh, as a teacher, a Spanish teacher, and English as a second language uh, teacher. Uh, I had a, a 21-year uh, federal law enforcement career uh, with the FBI and the Department of Justice. Um, I've got a total of 30 years of investigative experience in both the uh, uh, public and private sectors, and um, I'm married uh, married to a nurse uh, with uh, with twin daughters. Yeah, well, so that's exciting. I mean, and the other thing that uh, that I thought was interesting about your career is that you had. Um, I mean, obviously, you speak Spanish fluently. Uh, that you had uh, spent a year in Spain. That you had worked in Saudi Arabia too. So you speak Arabic as well. Is that right? Um, I, I speak a little bit. I would call it uh, elementary Arabic. But uh, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, and the uh, this. Um, thing with Spain, it's been kind of a lifelong love affair uh, for us, for me. And it really, uh, uh, the story starts with uh, my dad, who was a uh, New York City police officer. And he was assigned to a uh, Hispanic neighborhood in uh, New York City. And he wanted to communicate effectively with those uh, with those citizens. And he went out and he purchased a Spanish record, uh, you know, to learn Spanish. And I just remember I was I must have been eight or nine years old. And, you know, he would go down into the basement with this uh, record player and this record and he would start practicing Spanish. You know, I would follow him around like a lost puppy uh, and, uh, you know, I practice with him, uh, practice the Spanish with him. And I, I liked it. I liked the sound of Spanish. It was almost like a, like a music. And so I uh, took to it and. Uh, you know, I thought uh, when I got to high school, I said, well, I'm going to study Spanish. That makes sense. And and then, uh, you know, the next thing you know, I'm, I'm on a high school Spanish uh, uh, trip uh, to Madrid and uh, for two weeks. And while I was there, uh, I ran into a bunch of uh, Basque uh, children who were also visiting Madrid and we became friends. And uh, oddly enough, we're still friends to this day. And uh, in fact, one of them uh, was very helpful in putting together uh, the book. It's okay. your Camino. Okay. So you know, I returned to, to Spain. Uh, I had a junior year abroad in Madrid, so I spent a year in Spain, and uh, that was just an eye-opening experience. And I realized that the uh, the world did not revolve around New York City. <laughs> were, you know, there were other fantastic places uh, out there. So I guess I've been uh, been back to Spain uh, a dozen dozen times or more uh, since then, and uh, you know I've had this uh, great uh, affection for their people, uh, for their history, 
and uh, it's it's yeah it's it's uh, it's 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 been quite an affair. Yeah, and I understand your wife hiked with you, and, and you obviously mention her frequently in the book. Um, you, you want to give us give us just a little little backstory on how you met your wife, and um, you know how long you've been together, and that sort of thing. Well, sure, yeah. Um, she was, you know, when you mentioned Saudi Arabia, so um, after after my teaching, uh, I had a few years of teaching in New York City after college, and I uh, took a job in Saudi Arabia. And ended up, uh, interestingly enough, uh, teaching the uh, princes of the royal family, Saudi Uh-oh. royal family. Wow! And uh, yeah, quite. That's a book uh, to itself. I'm uh, sure. And um, I met. Uh, so Aurora was over there. She was. Uh, I guess she had a, a nursing background in the Philippines. She's from the Philippines, and then she became a stewardess for Saudi Arabian Airlines, and. Um, you know, I was taking, uh, I remember I was teaching at, at the school there, and I took a break from classes, uh, drove over to the nearby Marriott Hotel in Riyadh, in the, in the capital city, and uh, I was looking at some books in the bookshop, you know, looking for some Western books, English books, and that's that's when I first saw her, and, uh, you know, it was uh, lo- love at first sight, and uh, she was uh, drop-dead gorgeous, and I just had to <laughs> had to meet her and find out about her, so... Turns out she's a, a pretty, uh, pretty wonderful person, and uh, you know that, that's we've been together ever since. Yeah. So, um, and, and obviously, in my experience, hiking with couples uh, on the Appalachian Trail, um, you know, it's it's not easy to spend twenty four hours a day with with the spouse, right? Um, so that goes both that goes both ways, obviously. Um, any tips for for hiking with a spouse? Because I imagine that. Uh, you know, when when times are tough, that can work both ways. I'm sure. Uh, it's so true, uh, Steve. Uh, you do need that uh, bit of space uh, when you're with someone, twenty four seven for five hundred five hundred miles. I I would say this for people contemplating doing that with the spouse or with the significant other, uh, you better be good friends. <laughs> <laughs> you you know you you better be able to compromise. Uh, because uh, I, I soon realized as we uh, got going on this uh, Camino, this uh, sacred pilgrimage route, uh, that my wife never met a church or a chapel she didn't like. Oh, yeah. OK. And, and you know, when you have a, uh, a schedule to meet and so many miles to to, to get to every day, uh, you know, you have to move a little a little quicker. And, and we were slow to begin with. Uh, OK, so. So there was that, and then of course, uh, you know, she liked her chapels and churches. I liked the castles and the uh, cathedrals. So you know, you uh, you compromise. You have to compromise, and uh, I guess there were times, uh, Steve, where uh, we would uh, split up. Uh, you know, she'd meet a group of women. Sure. Uh, I'd meet a, meet a group of guys. Uh, we'd walk uh, together for a few hours separately, but uh, you know, we'd always come back uh, together. Uh, certainly. Uh, by the end of the day, and we'd, we'd share share our experiences. But um, w- interesting thing I found is that uh, I met uh, some pilgrims who had uh, done it uh, with the spouse and were now doing it by themselves for a totally different experience. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. You know, it's, it's funny you say that, uh, Ken, because a good friend of mine, and I don't know how much you went through the, uh, the list of uh, some of the podcasts here, but he, he had... Uh, he had uh, I'd done an interview with him on the Camino de Santiago a couple years ago, and then uh, he and his spouse literally about the time you reached out to me, 
had just gotten off the Camino um, this year, and he knew you. So for he, for some reason, he had connected with you, and I don't know if it was through LinkedIn or what, but he knew your name, and he knew you had a book. Um, his name is Philip Boyd, a.k.a. 3-Dub, but um, he and his wife didn't just do the Spanish route this summer. They ended up doing the Portuguese route, too, and then he did a third Camino hike this summer. Wow. Wow. So he did three of them. Um, I'm hoping I can get him here in here into the studio actually to talk more about it. But uh, well, I'd love but, to love to meet him, love to hear uh, hear from him, yeah. And hear about him, yeah. But he did echo what you said, just how different the experience is with uh, with the spouse. He he did two of those hikes this summer on his own, and then one with with her. Well, actually, I'll take that back. He did two of them with her. They did the Spanish and the Portuguese, and then he repeated one of those. Oh, wow. Phenomenal. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but anyway, and I also wanted to call out quickly that, um, so my father-in-law is from Iraq and, oh. uh, my wife's uncle actually flew for a Middle Eastern airline there. So just wanted to put that little connection out there with you. Small world. Yeah. Small. No kidding. Uh, exactly. But, um, yeah, the other thing I wanted to just sort of touch on quickly before we get into the specifics on the Camino and your book. Um, let's, let's talk about Martin Sheen. So there's a movie, The Way, that's very influential. I know a lot of people that hike the Camino have seen it, I'm sure. It stars uh, Emilio Estevez and his father, Martin Sheen. Uh, but what's interesting to me is that you actually um, met Martin Sheen, did some volunteer work with him in Mexico. You, you want to share that experience before we talk about the trail? Well, well, you know, the uh, story actually begins in 1979 in New York City with Martin Sheen. My mother and I were in an airport in New York City, and I believe I was heading out to uh, for a flight to, to London. Uh, and I think I was embarking upon that uh, Middle East experience that we were talking about. And uh, lo and behold, uh, there was a flight that came in from Los Angeles. And, uh, you know... Coming down uh, in the uh, terminal was a entourage of folks, uh, pretty loud, pretty boisterous, uh, kind of like rock stars. And uh, there c- coming at us was Martin Sheen. Uh-huh. And he was just off that, uh, just coming off that iconic movie Apocalypse Now. Oh, a, and a so classic. My mother, yeah, yeah. So my mother, she says, who's that? And I said, uh, Mom, that's Martin Sheen, uh, Apocalypse Now. He's a new, a great actor. And so as as the entourage comes and, and almost gets up to us, as we almost start to pass him, my mother inexplicably screams out, Martin Sheen. <laughs> <laughs> the whole entourage seems to stop. And Martin Sheen looks over to my mother and, and just a big smile. And he says, hi. That's so, funny. Yeah, so uh, so many years later, you know, 40, 40 uh, years later or so, uh, I'm telling that story to Martin Sheen in uh, Tijuana, Mexico, <laughs> uh, because uh, you know it turns out that uh, uh, we're both assisting the same church in uh, providing food and uh, and toys for uh, for the kids, uh, the you know the poor kids in Tijuana. Sure, uh, you know, just a wonderful man, Steve. Uh, you know, he, he encouraged us to go. It's something we had always wanted to do. But, uh, you know, he talked to us about his movie, about filming it with his son, uh, how the how his grandson had married a Spanish girl, uh, you know, kind of uh, during the movie, during okay. the, the making of the movie. Right. So uh, we did. We saw the movie, we saw it several times, and then we finally decided to uh, to do it. Uh, when we came back, 
I had, you know, put together a manuscript and uh, approached him, approached him. And uh, I said, uh, Martin, you know, I, I know you're busy. You know, you know you've, got a, you've got a TV show going on and all, but would, could you look at this? And he said, uh, absolutely. So, you know, I thought, OK, I'll never see that again. That's the end of that. And then I, I got a phone call uh, just a few days later. And it was Martin. And he said, uh, Ken, uh, I absolutely love this story. I loved it. And it's uh, something special. And uh, what, what can I do for you? That's your, I, that's your book, you mean, right? Yes, the, the book. Okay. Yeah, the, the book. It's your Camino. And uh, he's, uh, you know, I said, well, you know, if you don't mind, uh, maybe you could do a, a cover quote, you know, the book cover quote. And he said, I will. And again, I thought, OK, you know, maybe we don't hear from him again. But uh, just a few days later, a mail arrived, a letter arrived in the mail and a beautiful handwritten, handwritten letter from Martin Sheehan. And he said, Ken, I've come up with uh, five uh, possible quotes for the book cover. So use any one or a combination. Wow. Thereof. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, what a what a nice guy, a super nice person, what a yeah. wonderful guy. Yeah, and I'm just out of curiosity, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, he's, I'm guessing that Martin Sheen's probably Catholic. Is that accurate? Yes, uh, he is. He's uh, actually he's a devout, uh, devout Catholic. Uh, uh, you may know that he has uh, uh, roots. Uh, his 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 uh, of course his stage name is Martin Sheen, but uh, I believe his uh, his real last name is Esteves. Oh, okay. And, uh, from uh, Spain, from Galicia, actually. Okay, okay. So, so he's got that going, and then uh, I believe his uh, mother was from uh, from Ireland. So, so he, I mean, so he has a legitimate connection to the, to the Camino in multiple ways, right? In multiple ways, absolutely. He's been there. He's been to Spain many, many times, and um, yeah, he 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 just loves uh, Spain. Yeah, and I work with. By the way, I work with people from the Philippines frequently. I'm in the call center business, so um, oh, and, and I know okay. I understand they're very. I mean, they're very Christian. They're very Catholic. There, right? Is that accurate? I mean, is it true that? I guess when I'm asking you and your wife, are you both Catholic? Uh, yes, uh, I'm, uh, we're both Catholic, uh, although in I guess uh, different gradations. Uh, as, you know, I have, I have to tell my uh, my wife sometimes in the evening, please put away the rosary beads. I need to sleep. So <laughs> That's I, funny. Uh, yeah, yeah, she's pretty, pretty devout. And, um, you know, I guess that that's a culture, that's a culture thing. But um, so, you know, of course, she loves Spain for all the uh, spiritual and religious uh, uh, aspects that it that it offers. Yeah. And that's what I want to talk on. And we're gonna, we'll move to the Camino right now, specifically about the Camino. But my understanding is that there's plenty of people that hike the Camino that are not Catholic. Is that accurate? Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, Steve, we met uh we met people from all over the world. Um, in my in my book, it's your Camino. Um, I talk about meeting a Muslim fellow uh, from the Middle East, and uh, he was, you know, I call him in the book. I call him Khalil. I'm just uh, I don't I don't want to put his real name in there for obvious reasons. <clears throat> but uh, he he was joking with us. He said, "My goodness, uh, I have not even done my own Muslim pilgrimage." And here I am on your pilgrimage doing this first. Um, so, you know, that we met uh, we met Muslims, we met Protestants, we met uh, people that were atheists. Uh, just you, you name it, they were there. So uh, you, you don't have to be certainly don't have to be Catholic uh, to, to do this thing. Yeah. You, well, can you tee me up perfectly for the question about the history of the trail? Right. So 
you know, as I understand it, and I'm going to let you tell it because you know it better than me, but, uh, you know, the Muslims had their essential uh, pilgrimage, right, where Muslims would, uh, I guess, probably to Mecca, I would imagine, although you would that's, know better than me. That's, that's correct, Steve. And then I can't recall exactly who put this into play, but somebody in within the Catholic Church decided that, uh, hey, the Muslims have their pilgrim route, we need to have ours, and uh, because of St. James and all the things that went on in Santiago de Compostela, um, a essentially a, a Christian pilgrimage was created. Can can you give us some history of uh, of the Camino? Because it dates back to oh my God, how far back? I mean, ridiculously far yeah. back, right? Well, you, no, no, absolutely, uh, Steve. Uh, you're, you're right on the money there. It uh, it, it goes back uh, more than a thousand years. It's you know it's known in English as the Way of Saint James, uh, Saint James the Great, which you know tells you a little bit about how it came to be. But uh, this, uh, this, this road, uh, this Camino, is actually uh, was a Roman road first. And then, um, you know, once the Romans left um, and the, you know, the religious movements started in the, uh, with the uh, Muslims and the, uh, the Catholic Church uh, to begin with, uh, it was kind of a, uh, a network of, if you will, pilgrimages leading to the shrine of the apostle St. James the Great, in the cathedral in uh, Santiago de Compostela in Galicia, which is the region in northwestern Spain. And it's, uh, it, it has that tradition where the, uh, the remains of the saint are, are buried. Uh, you know, when you go to the cathedral, they'll actually show you the tomb, and, and that's where uh, supposedly the remains of St. James the Great are. Um, you know, a lot of people follow, have been following its roots uh, as kind of a spiritual path or retreat. Uh, for their growth, uh, but it's you know it's also popular with hiking, with cycling groups, organized uh, tour groups, and and yes, you're right about that that history. The Christians uh, were were you know they had been invaded uh, by the uh, by the Moors in uh, I think it was uh, uh, seven in the 700, 792 or something, and so for the next uh, seven hundred years they were in Spain, but the Christian you know they were battling Christians, they were battling other Moors, and the Christians were looking for a kind of a rallying point, and uh, you know this this miracle of the shepherds uh, in the field finding a star, and uh, under the star were the remains of this uh, of this of Saint James. Uh, so this this became kind of a rallying point for Christians in Spain uh, to, uh, to 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 fight uh, on against the against the Moors. Uh, in, in, in Spain. And of course, uh, El Cid, El Cid is, uh, you know, he comes into the picture during this time uh, as one of the Spanish uh, heroes. And of course, the Knights, the Knights Templar are involved with the protection of pilgrims uh, while they're doing their pilgrimage. They're kind of the police, the police force of the Camino. Yeah. And that was fascinating to me. So I, I didn't, I mean, I'd heard of the Knights Templar. I didn't really know, you know, their, their role in the protection of pilgrims. And you and I keep talking about pilgrims, but to help the listeners that aren't familiar, right? So essentially a pilgrim is someone that's uh, on the trek, which you guys all were. Um, but can you talk about the protection that they offered? Because, uh, I mean, there was some legit concerns if you were a pilgrim back then in terms of robbery and assaults and that sort of thing. Um, can you speak to that? You know, absolutely. And uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, over the, over the course of history, uh, nothing really changes. Uh, there are still good people and bad people. 
And the uh, pilgrims at that time, uh, they, they were faced with, uh, uh, you know, they, they had to uh, protect themselves from uh, uh, brigands, thieves, uh, con men, uh, wolves, animals like wolves, uh, wow. etc. So you don't see that in Europe anymore. <laughs> no, no, not in that that's, part of that, Europe anyway. Yeah, that's for sure. So, um, you know, here were these uh, Knights Templar. They were uh, formed in France, and uh, their their, uh, their their purpose in life was to become the guardians of Jerusalem in the Middle East. But um, they also expanded into many other countries, including neighboring Spain. So they were out there, and they were, uh, you know, again protecting uh, the the pilgrims from these unsavory and savory type uh, people who were trying to take advantage, to steal, to rip off, to murder, to kill, whatever they would, uh, the, the bad folks would do out there. And the other thing, you know, uh, we think of the Knights Templar as kind of a, um, you know, this paramilitary uh, group of knights, uh, but they also had kind of a uh, economic section, a commercial section to them, and they were. Uh, and I did the research on this. I found it fab, uh, f- fascinating. Uh, they also did like uh, letters of credit so that, you know, they could, uh, you know, before you start your journey, you apply for a letter of credit and X amount of money and they give you that. And that would take you that that letter of credit would be good for the whole trip and would, you know, get you, uh, you know, would be, you'd be able to pay in the different uh, different hostels or, uh, you know, accommodations that they were seeking. Yeah, so that was interesting. When when I read your book, um, you talked about the fact that you know, these pilgrims didn't even need to carry money. So that was very interesting uh, to me. And I think you made the comment it was almost like this was the Western Union of the era, right? Which is right. interesting. Yes, that's right. So, Ken, I'm curious to ask you, because there's a lot of reasons people hike the Camino, right? I mean, some people go because they just love to hike. You know, they're long-distance hikers. This is a great way to explore Europe. You know, they're not necessarily there for religious reasons. Some love history. Some love um, some love religion. Sounds like your wife's a great example of that. What, what kind of drove you to the Camino? Uh, you know, I would say uh, it was a, a number of reasons. It was this uh, lifelong love of Spain, and, and I knew the Camino was in Spain, uh, so it was kind of a bucket list thing to do. Uh, we have a great love for the outdoors, for hiking. I mean, we've been hiking uh, for many, many years, um, and we would go hiking with the kids and climb, uh, climb mountains. I think we used to do the tallest uh, mountains in each each state with, with the kids, so you know that we had that going. Uh, then there's the religious uh, aspect as well, which attracted us. And then, uh, you know, we thought we'd, uh, hey, you know, get some exercise. We might even lose some weight. But uh, un- unfortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, actually, the contrary. We, uh, I gained weight, uh, if, you, if you can believe that. Yeah, I totally believe it. My, my friend that I was telling you about, uh, Philip slash 3-Dub, he, he did the same, right? Because, I, I mean, you guys have access to... Lots of food and, you know, lots of uh, good wines, right? So I could see where that would happen. Yeah, the Rioja, Rioja wines, those nice red wines. And uh, every every evening, you know, you'd have a, uh, a pilgrim's meal. And uh, this was standard fare. And it'd be like a steak and uh, French fries or potatoes. And uh, always at the end of the meal, a, uh, a filling a custard flan. So... Uh, that, uh, you know, that weighs on you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, I remember you saying that was one of your favorites, actually. Yes. Um, yeah. 
Absolutely. But yeah, uh, people, they're out there, they're doing it. And again, I, uh, this whole book thing was about the people we met and uh, the pilgrims, uh, those on the Camino, were doing it for just about every reason under the sun. I mean, we met people that said, oh, we just want to see what's up here. It's like a, it's like a, a cultural phenomena and we want to be a part of it. Um, so out of curiosity, uh, we walked with people that just wanted, they love the, love hiking, love the outdoors. Other people were looking for things in their life, wanted to reflect on things, uh, uh, you know, a relationship that had gone sour or, um, yeah, there was a woman that we walked with. She had just lost her only son in a car crash. So, uh, just, uh, for a myriad reasons, uh, people were out there doing it. Yeah, and I, I think that's pretty common for long-distance hikers. I think a lot of people are out there, they're in a transition point in their life. And that was kind of the, I guess, the theme of the way, right, for those that haven't seen the movie uh, and without giving away too much there. But, um, yeah, I mean, I gets, that's understandable. I could see why that would drive people there. Um, so one of the things, and I, I think we talked about this in a previous Camino podcast, but it's worth bringing up again because what um, – what most people probably don't realize is that the Camino was almost completely forgotten by the early eighties. And I mean, that wasn't that long ago. If you think about it, do you, do you, are you familiar with uh, the, the, you know, when, when the Camino was revived and, and how that happened? I know there was a priest apparently that had a big part in this. Well, you know, I've heard that uh, the same story about the uh, priest. Um, and uh, so I'm assuming it's true. Uh, but, you know, I'll just I'll just throw this out at you and and your listeners. When I was a student in Madrid in 1975, uh, they they had 74 registered pilgrims on the Camino that year, 74. That's, and that's amazing. Year, We're going to talk about numbers in a second, and that, that's oh, going to seem okay. staggering, okay. right? Yeah, it's it's staggering. It's just uh, it's 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 a, what a, what an exponential increase. I mean, so my question back to you on the priest that revived the Camino. Can, yeah. I mean, I, you may know the history better than I. I can't recall it exactly, but um, do you, do you recall how that revision kind of took place? No, I, I, I sure don't. Uh, again, I, I heard I heard a, a similar story, and I guess uh, you know if we repeat it enough times, uh, it will become true. If it's not true, but. Uh, no, I, I, I again, I, I, I've heard heard of it, but I just don't know uh, that much about it. Well, hey, so let's get back to the numbers. So you you had mentioned seventy five. I, I had written down in nineteen eighty five, there were six hundred and fifty people that hiked the Camino. Um, it, it's been over three hundred thousand recently. Well, what is driving this massive increase in hikers? Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, I, I've been uh, monitoring the Camino sites and looking at the statistics. And last year, there were 327,000 uh, pilgrims. Oh, my uh, God, that's ins incredible. It is. It, it's a, like I said, it's a social, it's a cultural phenomena. Uh, I, I think because um, it's got something for everyone out there. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just news of it travels like wild, wildfire. It's almost like the thing to do, like... Uh, uh, you know, I, I have friends and they're like, oh, my kids, uh, they're, they're going on the Camino, you know, oh, yeah, well, my kids are doing it, too. And it just keeps uh, and it's and it's global. It's from all over the world. And as people enjoy this, they keep passing uh, the, the word out. But, you know, with that popularity, uh, I noticed 
that uh, one of the Camino sites said that they had actually had to turn away pilgrims at one of the uh, villages early on into the Camino uh, because there just wasn't enough uh, lodging uh, for them. So there's a concern that it's become too popular for its own good. And, you know, uh, now people are starting to look at uh, alternate routes like, you know, the Camino Portugues, the Camino Primitivo, the Camino Norte, uh, different routes. Um, uh, so, but, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's, uh, everybody seems to be doing it. It, it makes the Appalachian Trail look deserted <laughs> in numbers, <laughs> right? Um, which is, which is a statement. So um, let's talk about these alternate routes for a second. Um, like the Portuguese route, um, I mean, you know, can you comment on some of the other routes? And I think more importantly, why there's multiple routes uh, and not just one route to um, essentially the, the church where St. James is buried. Yeah, I think there's um, I think there's like eight alternate uh, routes, something like this. Um, you know, you have the of course, the one that uh, we were on is the well-traveled uh, Camino Frances or the French Camino. But as you mentioned, there's, you have options. You've got the Portuguese Camino, the Camino del Norte, which is a, uh, I understand it's an incredible Camino. It starts in France and it runs along the coast of the Bay of Biscay and the Cantabrian Sea. And it's just visually, uh, from what I've seen, spectacular. Um, and, and that, you know, as, as a lot of people are opting now to do that one uh, because you know, it's less traveled. It's a little quieter. Uh, this, that, that's, that's a good one. Um, one of, uh, I was on a podcast with, uh, Steve Bauman, uh, hour of history. And, uh, he, he apparently knows you and, uh, he had done the Camino Inglés, which is 110 kilometers. And he starts, they start up on the uh, coast of, uh, Galicia up on the coast and down. And so, and, and, and there were, there were others, I think there's like, uh, eight, eight well-established routes, and then there's lesser-known routes uh, like the uh, Camino of Madrid and uh, the Camino of Levante and, uh, and so forth and so on. So uh, there, are, there, are, there are plenty of options out there, and there's some beautiful – they are some beautiful Caminos. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, the way you're talking, it almost makes me – when I do it, I almost want to do one of the alternative routes. Um, <laughs> yes. But it, can, can you describe the why there are all these routes, though? I mean, I think – I don't know if we've completely – covered off on that because that's an important point right why are there multiple routes yeah well um you know uh d during the time when the uh muslims and the moors were in spain uh the uh, they actually uh, were right on top of the camino frances so that was a a dangerous route um to to choose so uh the options you know there were options uh, along the coast um, from the from the you know the Camino Inglés, for example, where pilgrims would come from England, Ireland, come down into this port in in northern Spain, and then traipse traipse down to Santiago de Compostela, avoiding this kind of territory where the Moors and the Christians were fighting each other. You know that kind of uh, it was a, you can call it kind of a demilitarized zone there, but uh -huh. it it encompassed the Camino Frances, and then of course. As the uh, Christians pushed back the Moors south, uh, then the uh, Camino Frances opened up and uh, and uh, you know started to become the, the more well-traveled uh, route. 
Okay, I got you. That makes sense. And then this all ends at the church in Santiago. Um, I, I know it's an emotional kind of tipping point for for pilgrims as they go to the mass at the very end of the of the um, of the walk. Can can you talk about that? Because I think specifically in your book, you talked about you know that experience being pretty pretty profound, right? Yeah. No, it was uh, it was so emotional. You know, you you've arrived after five hundred miles. Uh, you're now in this uh, uh, wonderful historic uh, cathedral with so much history, and and you think about it. My God, uh, you know, I'm I'm sitting uh, down in, in the pew where, you know, a thousand years ago there were other pilgrims like me here doing the very same thing. Uh, you know, you would look out in the church from the pew where you're sitting praying or kneeling, and you'd see some other people that you've walked with. So that be, you know, the kind of finishing up with your buddies, the camaraderie. Of, of, of doing that and uh, you know all these things and as a Christian uh, you know they have a wonderful ceremony where the uh, the people uh, start uh, with uh, the what they call the bota fumeros this incense uh, 100 I think it's uh, yeah I think it's about 180 pound incense thing that they swing from pulleys I've seen it it's so amazing. Have, it's amazing. I've yeah. seen uh, Squatch's yeah. uh, movie on that. It's unbelievable. I mean, they hang it from the ceiling, and that thing is hanging way down, right? Way down, and it's traveling at such uh, speeds. And uh, um, uh, Michener, in his uh, his book Iberia, describes it uh, best. Uh, so you know, if anybody wants to, that, to me, that that's the best description uh, of the cathedral uh, by James Michener. But uh, yeah, all of these things come together. You've reflected. Uh, you've been there. You've been reflecting. You've, uh, you know, I, for me, uh, my uh, my challenge was uh, my knee, uh, which was uh, arthritic and uh, caused me a lot of uh, problems and pain. So just just getting over all those things and making it to the finish line, uh, there's, you know, you just uh, emotionally. Uh, it's just it's just a beautiful 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 feeling. Yeah, and hey, quick plug for Squatch uh, Scott Harriet's uh, movie Wayfaring. Did you by chance, uh, Ken? Did you have a chance to see that, or have you ever seen it? Uh, no, I have not, but I'm writing it down. Yeah, well, he is from Southern California and uh, was actually a stand-up comedian in that area at one time, and he brings his humor to. Uh, his filming of the uh, his hike on the Camino. He did the same route, France through Spain. Uh, okay. But great, great film. Very, very, very funny. You can probably find it on Amazon. Uh, highly recommend it, especially for someone like you that's that's actually done the uh, the route. Your wife would probably really enjoy it as well. Really, really good uh, entertainment. And then he does have that scene with the incense, which was amazing. It's hard as you and I talk about it to envision that, that, you know, incense swinging from the, from the ceiling, but it is amazing when you see it, right? Yeah, a- absolutely. Michener calls it, uh, and I quote, it's a thrilling display of motion, power, fire, and mystery. <laughs> it's, I like it's that. like, it's like no other ce- church celebration on earth. I, I, you know, honestly, that, that would be a big draw for me. Um, uh, you know, obviously my kids go to Catholic school, so we have a pretty close connection there. So yeah, that, okay. that is one hike I could certainly talk my wife into doing. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Yes, hey, but you know, we've been talking about the Camino all this time. We haven't really talked about your book. So let's talk about your book. It's called It's Your Camino. Um, you, uh, you must've just finished it. Is that accurate? Uh, I, I published it in, uh, in August of, of this year. Okay. And- uh, it took about uh, took about four months to, to write, 
and I pretty much uh, locked myself up in uh, up in the room here until uh, until I, I did finish it. So and, and, it, yeah, it's out on uh, you know it's on Amazon, it's Kindle and uh, and and paperback. Yes. Now, did you self-publish, or did you actually go out and find a publisher? No, I uh, I self-published. Uh, I did start to look for a uh, publisher, but uh, uh, it's kind of a kind of a race against time. Uh, my father is uh, just turned ninety, and uh, uh, th- that might that might have delayed it a few more months. And I, I wanted to get a book into his hands. Um, I always promised him I'd write a book, and and I did. So no, I, I self-published, and uh, yeah, and it, it's worked out okay. Yeah, I mean, as someone has that has written a book, right? And then I've got a book out there right now called "Hiking with Dogs, uh, Georgia, South Carolina." But I, I know what goes into it, and it's an insane amount of work. Do you want to talk about what it what it takes to write a book and get it published? Well, no, uh, you hit it on the head, uh, Steve. It's it's an insane amount of, of work. Uh, actually, the uh, the the writing uh, part uh, seems so simple and, and much easier than than the promoting of the book. Uh, that's that's been a, a, a tremendous experience for me. But at the same time, writing the book has opened up a, a lot of doors uh, for us. And so, you know, we find ourselves at uh, libraries or at rotary clubs or, you know, sitting for interviews with a newspaper or a podcast such as your own and also meeting other other authors. Um, I think one of the uh, one of the smartest things I did was uh, joining when I when I came back and I put together the uh, short stories that I had r- wrote written on the uh, on the Camino. Uh, I found a writers uh, group, and uh, you know, at first I was a little defensive. You know, you're showing your, your stuff to people, and you yeah. you know, oh my God, they're going to criticize me. Oh, I'm going to suck. I'm not good. Yeah. Whatever. Right. Those, those things do cross your mind. But uh, I noticed that this group, for example, was providing me with some tremendous uh, feedback, some some constructive feedback. Right. They were very kind and like they understood where I was coming from. And then one one fella, uh, he was a uh, screenwriter from uh, L.A. of all places, and he said, uh, "I've done the Camino, and uh, I, I like uh, I like your writing style." Oh, but perfect. There's, there's, you know, he said there's something missing, and and he. He gave me a little uh, recommendation that just kind of turned everything around for me. And uh, so, you know, I would recommend, you know, if, if, if people like me have a book, uh, you know, join a writer's club, uh, get out there and, uh, you know, uh, get, get, join blogs, uh, write blogs if, if you can. And, and there's a lot of other people out there like, like, uh, like ourselves. Yeah, there, and I understand there's some good online resources that you can uh, leverage uh, I've got a friend down in Florida whose wife wrote a book, and um, I think you had to review three books, and in turn, they reviewed your book back. So you had three people that you know reviewed your book, right? That's exactly um, right. That's yeah. exactly how this uh, how this thing worked. And uh, I also my uh, former supervisor with the FBI, um, his wife is a is a writer, so I uh, you know had her look at the pieces of my manuscript, and and she was very helpful. And, uh, so, so, you know, if you, if you share, uh, share your manuscript with, uh, people that are looking out for you, it's, uh, it's wonderful. It, it, uh, you know, you learn things, uh, and you learn from your mistakes and you get, you get a little better. Yeah. She had good things to say about this. Now I wish I could 
give the listeners the name of the online, uh, I think it was like an online website she actually used for, for that service. But, um, and I don't believe that there was any cost to it. I think it was, Hey, you help me, I'll help you kind of thing. Um, but can you, yeah, there's one, there's one Steve called, uh, I think it's called critiques corner. Okay. Something, something like that. If you, if you look it up and I, I can get back to you, uh, uh, later, uh, with that, but uh, they they were great. I, like you said, three and one, three and one, and uh, you you know you're looking at stuff and saying, oh wow, look at this. Uh, hey, I, I might even be able to make a criticism of my own and this person's thing. Yeah, yeah. And you're just learning and you're absorbing uh, all this knowledge and and you're getting uh, feedback in return, which is super. Yeah, no, that sounds good. I mean, so resource wise, you know, I, I, obviously there's some options out there, but you have any other? Just, I guess, suggestions for a would-be author that's, uh, you know, maybe staring down doing a book for the first time? Uh, well, you know, the things I mentioned, I, I think, uh, you know, blog sites. There's a uh, there's a very nice blog site run by Ann, uh, Ann R. Allen. She collaborates with Ruth Harris, and uh, they're uh, established, renowned authors. Uh, in their own genre, but uh, my God, uh, that weekly blog, um, it's it's like a treasure chest. Okay. Every week, I can't wait to find out, you know, how you know how to do how to get reviews for your book, how to you know how to start the book, what to avoid putting inside the book, uh, how to how to start the book, how to finish the book. Just every week, there's something new, and it's uh, I'm in awe, awe of that uh, that blog site. Yeah, so that's a great resource. Yeah, can you give it to us one more time, quickly? Sure. It's uh, Ann uh, with an E, Ann R period R period Allen A double L E N. Uh, she does the blog site with Ruth Harris. Okay. Ruth Harris. Okay. And it's a uh, it's a good one, really good one. No, I appreciate. It. I mean, you know, there's got to be people out there listening right now that are thinking about doing a book, so I'm sure that'll be helpful to them. Yeah, I hope so. One thing that was very interesting to me is that you spent some time in, in the FBI, right? And um, I've uh, I've interviewed other hikers about the Camino for this podcast, but the one thing that is unique about this discussion is that um, you had a chance encounter with an Irishman when you were hiking the Camino mm-hmm. who asked you specifically about Annie McCarrick, if I said her last name correctly, is, that is correct, Steve. And, you know, which is which is super interesting. And if the listeners um, are ready for a major pivot in this whole discussion. Uh, so you knew Annie. She went missing in uh, Ireland, obviously. And I mean, can you tell that story? Because that, yeah. you know, honestly, that was something in your book that I didn't see coming that right. was fascinating. And then you have an FBI background and you actually knew the person. So this this all blew me away. You got you got to help us out here and explain what I'm talking about. Yeah, sure thing. And uh, it blew me away too, to be honest with you. Uh, to to you know, all of a sudden you're on the Camino. We were outside the city of Porto Marin, and uh, one of these uh, Irish uh, fellows that was walking it uh, suddenly said, "Hey, you know, you you're the FBI guy." And uh, I, I said, "Yeah, what well, you know." Yeah, sure. How do you know that? And he said, uh, I saw you on Irish television last week. <laughs> so, Wow. Yeah. So let me back up. Uh, so uh, Annie McCarrick was uh, our neighbor in Long Island. Um, she was my uh, baby sister's friend. And uh, her father was uh, my teacher. Uh, the mother was uh, worked at the high school as well. Uh, so we knew the family pretty well 
from our town, a little town called Bayport. And in uh, 1993, uh, Annie McCarrick, who was uh, studying in Ireland, working in Ireland part time, and she was, you know, in love with with Ireland, just in love with Ireland. Uh, she went missing. She vanished uh, without a trace. Uh, not only did she vanish, but uh, during a like a 10 year uh, period, uh, six or seven other women uh, went missing at the same time um, in the same area. And uh, there were no no clues, no evidence. Nobody saw anything, no bodies, nothing, just absolutely nothing. So um, anyway, uh, I, I, uh, I've been kind of following that case and helping the family uh, to resolve it. Uh, there is a person of interest who was, uh, let me say, he was uh, arrested. Uh, he was actually, he had just raped a lady and uh, was going to kill her. He was putting her in the trunk of the car to kill her. Wow. And two hunters, two hunters came upon him and uh, they recognized him. So he fled, but he was caught. Uh, he went to prison for 10 years and never said a word, never said a word, nothing. And he was released. Um, and during that, interesting, uh, during that time, uh, no other women went missing. So wow, interesting. Go figure out. But he's out there uh, right now. Uh, he's still kind of on the loose. But uh, the, so I got involved in this whole thing and I knew a lot of, uh, I pushed, the, it wasn't even an open investigation in the United States. So I said to um, uh, the mother, let's open, at least open a case. So we opened a case. There were some FBI people that went over to, uh, London and later Dublin to to you know help as much as they could. So I'm still uh, there's been no uh, there's been no uh, movement on the case sadly, uh, but I'm I'm still involved in uh, helping people and keeping the word going. And that's what's interesting is so uh, Aurora and I are on the Camino, and I get a uh, text message from uh, uh, a journalist. Now he's working for Irish Television. And he said, uh, we want to talk about Annie McCarrick and uh, we'd like you to, to talk on her behalf. Right. And I said, hey, you know, Barry, I'm on the Camino. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, he said, well, you know, we really could use you. So um, and I really wanted to do it, too. And here's where it got really nice. Uh, we were staying at a uh, uh, an albergue uh, and this uh, Spanish family was running the albergue. And I told him, I said, you know, is there any way we could do a Skype uh, thing? You know, do you have? And they said, unfortunately, we don't have that capability here. Mm -hmm. However, we've just opened up another albergue. And uh, the woman said, my son is running that. And we would love to take care of that for you. Okay. And, oh, my goodness. And so uh, we made it over to the other albergue. And the son, you know, he had a, a laptop. He, you know, got into the Skype. And the next thing you know, I'm on Irish television. Uh, you, you know, giving a, contributing to the uh, Annie McCarrick uh, story. And that's when that Irish fella saw me, uh, oh, you know, the, that week. And so he said, oh, my God, you're the FBI guy. I saw you on uh, Irish television. So it was amazing that, that it uh, came together uh, like that. And, uh, you know, our Spanish hosts were, they were just so... Uh, so accommodating yeah, they were just wonderful yeah what a small world so i mean i mean in the age of dna they weren't able to uh you know link the dna to to anything no, i guess no there's nothing to link it to that's 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 the problem um you know this was uh a, the fbi agents that we uh that went over there uh, it was the from their uh, B, uh, behavioral analysis unit bau you know silence of the lambs type unit and uh, they did a uh, profile and uh, hmm. they, you know, they looked at this person of interest 
and uh, they said uh, most probably him. And uh, he was just, he's just very good at what he what he did. And uh, he was, you know, his background was such that he could fit in, blend in and uh, get away with something like that in the Wicklow Mountains. Yeah, well, I was getting ready to throw that in there, right, just to tie this back to hiking and backpacking, which is what this podcast is. I mean, she was essentially going on a hike, right? I think she stopped in a town before she did it, but um, but her, her intent was to go out and do some wilderness exploration uh, when she went missing, right? Um, yeah, actually, uh, she was, uh, I guess, just, I, I think she told her, her um, roommates uh, she was going out to the uh, take a bus out to the Wicklow Mountains, just kind of get some fresh air. Okay. And, um, and you know, they have her. Um, someone actually saw her on the bus, and then uh, and then I guess she got to that village, and uh, that was it. No, nobody has ever seen her. Uh, people think they've seen her, but uh, when they're interviewed, it turns out they have not. Uh, so it's 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 really uh, such a very sad uh, story, and you know I. Uh, caught up with the mother, uh, her mother, Nancy, uh, about two years ago at church. And she said, Ken, I, I know she's gone and I'm never going to see her again. Uh, but I, I just like to have her come home. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. It's pretty sad. Yeah. Yeah. Just it, really interesting that, that just your world's kind of collided on this, right? You know, you're you're on the Camino when when you get the interview and it's somebody you knew from, you know, earlier in your life. and. and that to me was very fascinating about the book, just to put it out there. It, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, actually, one of the uh, critics, uh, you know, that group said, uh, no, 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 don't put that part in. It has really? nothing to do with the Camino. Ah, and, and I disagree. I went, against, I went against that. I went against, uh, went with my instincts. And I said, uh, no, you've given me a lot of good feedback, but uh, this one I'm going to keep in. Yeah, yeah. Well, and just the other fact that you have like, uh, you know, FBI experience, like investigation experience. So, I mean, to me, honestly, that was a that 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 was a point in the book where I was, you know, something very different that you wouldn't get out of most books on the Camino. Mm-hmm. But right. um, hey, so on the on the topic of crime, you've obviously got a lot of experience with it. Um, did you ever have any issues when you were hiking? I mean, we talked earlier about the Knights Templar and, uh, you know, trying to p- protect pilgrims, but it doesn't sound like crime's a big issue. No, you're right. Uh, it's not a big issue. Uh, uh, you know, there's always this, uh, it's a, there's a subtle reminder of a police presence. Uh, the Guardia Civil is, they're present, they're out there. You know, you see them uh, in the villages, uh, you know, like the pilgrims will pull up to a bar and there'll be a cop in the bar just kind of, you know, having a cup of coffee, scoping things out, making sure everybody's okay. So, uh, they, I think they do a very good uh, job keeping an eye on that. And um, the other thing I noticed is there's a lot of uh, women that are uh, on the Camino alone. And of course, you know, for me, that's a cause for concern. But uh, so often they uh, these women will band together with other women and they, they go into kind of a group, which I think is a great, just a great idea. That being said, uh, I, I did lose, we did lose a, uh, this was a, actually an alum, alumna uh, from my uh, school in Arizona, and she was killed uh, on the Camino in 2017 uh, by, by a local who had trick, tricked her, taken one of those yellow arrows and changed the arrow so that it would take, you know, take her to kind of his, his uh, lair. Wow. And so she was murdered. Uh, unfortunately, her name is Denise uh, Thiem. 
but uh, and and they caught the fellow when he he confessed. But that's kind of uh, that's the exception, uh, really. So no, I didn't. Uh, overall, I'd say uh, I wasn't so concerned about crime, not even petty theft or anything like that. Uh, just didn't seem to be an issue. You you can't isolate a long distance trail from the real world. No, you're right. You're you hit it on the head. You're yeah. Right. Although you know, let's let, you and I both know because we've both done long distance hikes. I mean, the chance that you're going to run into a issue with uh, a criminal on a long distance trail is, is significantly lower than me going out here tonight in Atlanta in, in some <laughs> random parking lot or you probably in California and having an issue, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I think that's important to kind of put out there because you can't, you can't stop the fear of, you know, being a victim of crime from doing some of these wonderful hikes. Yeah. So. And you know, uh, the other thing, Steve is, uh, you know, you're out there with uh, the people that are surrounding you are kind of uh, good people. They're out there to for the same reasons you're out there. So, you know, you don't you're not uh, you don't see any uh, suspicious types. Uh, at least I didn't uh, out there. It's a pretty good group of, of people. Yeah. I mean, and I think you would agree with me. Crime is the last thing you need to be worried about when you're doing one of these hikes. Probably getting yourself in shape is the thing you really need to be concerned about. Right. Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. That that's uh, that's uh, more concern. Yeah, getting in shape. So let, let's let's talk a little bit more about the Camino. You hiked in May, and I understand that uh, you know May is a very popular time. If you were to do it again, would you go in the spring, or would you do a different time? Or well, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, uh, they say that uh, the two best times to go are in the spring, from May to June. And then from uh, September, uh, September, October. Okay. I, I would, I would like to do the uh, September, October um, uh, Camino myself. Uh, it's just in the summer, it's just too, too darn hot. And in the winter, it's, it's really, really bitingly, bitingly cold out there. Um, you know, they, there's, this, they have that Spanish have a saying, um, nueve meses del invierno y tres meses uh, del, in, del infierno, which is. <laughs> You know, uh, nine months of winter and three months of hell. Oh yeah, you you so. sound like you got some some game there in your Spanish uh, speaking there. Uh, you know, you, you rattled that off pretty easily. It's a little rusty, but uh, you put me back on the Camino, and I you know w- watch out. <laughs> That's funny. So in 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 terms of how many miles you hiked today, it seemed like you did pretty good mileage. Were you pushing ten to twenty miles a day typically? Yeah, exactly right. About uh, you know, I somehow remember the going twelve on one occasion, and then you know up to twenty, and uh, everything in between. So yeah, I would say from twelve to twenty miles a day. Yeah, and I know when you when you guys hike, I remember you saying that you had some issue with sore knees. I don't think that's uncommon. You know, obviously, as we all get older, the knees start to go. Um, But it sounds like there were a fair number of younger hikers out there too. is there an average kind of age of hiker, uh, or, or is it all over the map? Um, again, you, I mean, you see people from uh, uh, 17, 18 years old up into their 70s out there. In fact, uh, uh, you may remember from the book, uh, I ran into a cyclist who was 89. Oh, wow. That's that Basque that guy said, call me Frank. Huh? Yeah, 89 years old. But uh, I would say, uh, by and large, uh, the average age, the, the might've been in the mid, mid to late thirties, people in the mid to late thirties wow. out there that might've been the majority of people. But, 
uh, there were also, uh, you know, people in their 40s, 50s, all the way up to the 70s, uh, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, the 30s and the 40s are probably the least represented people on the Appalachian Trail. But I guess what's different is you can go over and knock the Camino out and I mean, what, a month? You can probably knock it out pretty easily. Yeah, we had one uh, one Spaniard. I remember him. He came into the bar and he was all excited because uh, he, and he just shouted out to everybody in the bar. You know, uh, last year I did this thing in, you know, 27 days. And and, he you know, he said, I'm on uh, I'm on schedule to break that record. And, you know, everyone's shouting and cheering him. Huh. And, and then I thought to myself, my goodness, he, he, then he looks, then he says, oh, my goodness, I have to go. I have to get out of here. Yeah. I have to, I have wow. to break my record. But, yeah, yeah, so so pretty even mix between male and female. It sounds like, right? I'd say maybe uh, maybe uh, more some more female uh, f- females out really there. Really interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah huh. I, that's that's what I thought. Okay, and um, I, I'm I'm gonna guess that most people that are on the Camino they're not necessarily wilderness backpackers like you and I would know. You know, true wilderness camping here in the U.S. Is, is that fair to say? That is fair to say, Steve. Um, I would say most of them are, are day hikers, um, but uh, what I did notice is uh, the Europeans seem to be better hikers. They have better equipment. Uh, they know how to hike uh, better than uh, than Americans. Uh, and the Australians are up, up there as, as well. But uh, yeah, for the by and large, uh, uh, day hikers, uh, m- most of them. Okay, interesting. And like cost wise, what are we talking here? I, that's one thing that. I haven't had a chance to ask Philip on how much he spent. He did three Caminos. I can't imagine what that cost him this summer, but um, like just for one Camino, what are you looking at? I mean, well, and I know it's going to be a range and you can live differently, right? Obviously. Yeah. But. Yes, that you're right. Uh, it, it, there's a range. It depends on uh, what type of lodgings you uh, select. Uh, you know, you can, you can go into these municipality uh, and church uh, albergues and like dormitory type situations with cots and bunk beds and things like that and you'll be paying five to 15 euros per night um or and and we did that my wife and i did that the first few days but then you know it just uh it it was kind of like uh, we've been we've been there done that and we thought you know we're just you know we're, (laughs) we're a little older uh we're in our 60s right so we opted for like a uh We'd find a hostel with a, uh, a private room with a shared bathroom, for example. And so that the price uh, went up, as you can imagine. Uh, so maybe it's, it goes from 15 to 25 euros or 30 euros a night or, or even even more. So I don't know. I'm I just I'm throwing a rough uh, you know, our situation with the private stuff uh, might have been, uh, I would say, 1200 bucks. Excluding airfare and bus bus fare stuff like that. You know that's a pretty inexpensive way to explore a country for a month, though. And and it sounds like you guys live pretty well. So I would say, wow, that's that's impressive. You know, you get to have all these experiences for for that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that was that was about uh, about right. Uh, might be a hundred, uh, maybe a hundred more or so, but uh, not not too not too bad. You know what I definitely got from your book, Ken, was that uh, there there was some snoring going on in some of these hostels. There's got to be a point where you're like, "Look, man, I'm done with this. I'm going to go get a, you know, a yeah. nice room somewhere to myself." I mean, that had that had to happen to you frequently. Oh yeah, it did. And even the um, the um, earplugs were not enough at times. 
so we and, and uh, some of the pilgrims would decide, you know what, uh, we're roughing it. This is a, a rough t uh, type existence now. And uh, we're going to do one, uh, maybe one night a week. And we're going to go into a nice place and uh, splurge a little bit, maybe even a hotel in one of the bigger cities. And and then we'll get back onto the Camino and go back to the um, dormitory type thing. So people would treat themselves like that uh, just to break it up. Yeah, sometimes you got to, right? I mean, you know, I mean, there, there's going to be good and bad times in a long distance hike. So there's times where you got to take care of yourself. Right. Um, hey, so just to ask you a couple like, you know, sort of, uh, I guess, greatest hits kind of questions. What's what were some of the what is the craziest thing that happened to you on the Camino? Well, I would have to say that um, we we were about halfway through our trip, and we were on the um, Meseta, which is that uh, uh, long, flat part of Spain where the scenery is uh, uh, there's no there's very little scenery, and it just seems to go on forever. Mm -hmm. And you're you know you it's a psychological you're going through that psychological stage of the of the uh, Camino. But we came upon a town called Boadilla uh, del I think it was Boadilla del Camino. And uh, it was a beautiful little town with a, you know, the, the classic little church and the classic plaza and plaza. And it's just gorgeous. And when we went there, uh, we opened the door and and as <laughs> and there was like this huge uh, area, a patio with a swimming pool. Uh, there were two young ladies in, in bikinis. And uh, I thought, oh, my God, I've, I've died and gone to heaven. What's, what's <laughs> this? It was one of the funniest things I, I ever saw. Of course, my wife uh, grabbed my arm and she said, come on, come on, let's go. Let's uh, let's register. But uh, that, that was a pretty funny. Uh, that was that was pretty crazy to, to see that. And it was uh, a very interesting albergue. There was uh, a lot of uh, good camaraderie. And uh, the owner was a very interesting uh, Spaniard uh, with uh, those uh, what is it Rastafarian locks and okay, it was a pretty he was a pretty cool dude. So this was a, a pretty interesting interesting place. Wait, is it, I think you have a picture of that in the book, don't you? Where the just the pool out back is that the one I saw in the book? That's the very same one. Ah, I got yeah. you. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, on the flip side of that, is there any period of time that you or your wife were extremely angry or unhappy not necessarily at each other which i, I appreciate when you're 24 7 with the spouse can happen right. but i mean not necessarily uh in that sense but just in general like uh, uh not getting into a hostel or you know a point where yep. you were at a low point i guess i you know it's funny um I'm, i don't think there were any uh times when we were angry like that but there was a there was a little bit of frustration and I remember it vividly in one village. We got to the town of Carrion de los Condes. And when we arrived, we, you know, gotten there late. So, you know, we're trying to keep to a schedule. We had to grab some groceries. We had to go to this hostel. We had to, you know, shower, get our meal and go right to bed, that type of thing. And I remember seeing a sign with all of these beautiful monumental sites that the town offered. There were convents. There was a castle. There was a monastery or two monasteries, and and I thought, geez, you know, what a shame. Um, I may never be through this place again, and here are all these beautiful things to see, and yet we're not, we can't see them because, you know, we 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 have so many days. You know, the time is finite, 
So I think there was that, for me, there was that frustration of I wish we had more time and we could have seen a few more things because that wasn't the only town where that happened. Yeah. Well, you can always do the Camino again there, Ken. I mean, hey, you know, it doesn't. you don't have to stop just once. Amen, brother. I'll go with you. You, you can pull a page out of my buddy's playbook who just did three this summer and he'd hiked it before. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey, so in terms of nationalities out there, I mean, obviously it's a very worldly experience. So, you know, what percentage of the people out there you think are Americans? Uh, there's a, there's a lot of Americans out there, uh, but you know there's mostly uh, mostly Spanish okay. and French and French. A lot of Australians. Hmm. You know, again, just from uh, my experience, our experience, uh, I would say maybe twenty twenty percent, twenty five percent. That's pretty high, actually. I know Ger- Germans are the ultimate world traveler, too. I see them everywhere I go. I mean, there's got to be a lot of Germans on the trail, too, right? Yes, yes. There were a number of Gunters and uh, uh, Jurgens, Jurgens, and yes, a number of Germans as well. But I think I think Spanish, the Spanish uh, are predominant hmm. uh, for obvious reasons, right? Yeah, I didn't see that coming, actually. I, I thought maybe that there would be less of them because, uh, you know, it's so well known. It's in their backyard. But I guess it's like the AT, right? You got the Appalachian Trail in your backyard. You're going to get a lot of Americans on it, right? And then, of course, uh, you have to factor in the fa- the that there is also a uh, uh, a smaller Camino going from Serria to Santiago, hmm. and that's the last that's the last sixty miles of the French Camino. Okay, and, and you can you know you can get a certificate of having done the Camino by starting in Serria, sixty miles away from the finish. And doing it, so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the Spanish just are jumping on that short one. It takes like five days. It's a five day, and it's a pretty mellow. Um, it's it's not a, not too challenging, uh, and, and it's very it's very, it's gorgeous as well. So. so so the numbers obviously jack up significantly in that last sixty miles, right? Oh yes. Oh boy. It's uh, uh it's yeah. That whole new group of pilgrims is there, and they uh, bring with them. Uh, you know this uh, incredible uh, surge of enthusiasm. Hmm. It's it's kind of contagious. At the same time, though, you're in your spiritual phase of yeah, the Camino. You know, right. You're reflecting, and all of a sudden, the, all these people are loud and they're excited and they're grabbing you. What's it like? And you know, it's uh, it, it cuts both it cuts both ways. Yeah, I was going to say that it sounds like it could be challenging. What I mean, it, obviously, I, I remember in your book there there's some school and religious groups that obviously do the Camino, not just from Europe, but from all over the world. Did you run into a, a lot of them when you were hiking? We, we ran into a fair number of them. Um, we, we ran into, uh, uh, I remember there was a Lutheran group. There were some Catholic groups out there. Uh, these were from the United States. Right. Um, and, and then there were uh, just school, school groups, like uh, we had uh, Boston College was out there, Fordham really? University. Hey, can I get college credit for that, man? That'd be sweet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just you know, every, just about everybody, all kinds of groups. Wow. There and uh, and these nuns from Poland, these these beautiful uh, beautiful sisters uh, of I think it's the Order of Mercy. They were from the Order of Mercy. Yeah, Mercy. I, remember, I remember you talking about that in the book. Actually, that's interesting. That's really cool. What what a uh, interesting mix of folks out there. How, how was uh, how was the Camino? like you expected and how how was it totally different 
I, to be honest with you, Steve, I didn't expect uh, too much. I, I, I didn't want to be disappointed, and I just wanted to be uh, surprised. Okay. So, so I really didn't have any expectations, but uh, it um, it gave to me more than I could have ever realized. And um, and again, and I think I mentioned this in the book um, when I when I started the Camino, uh, it was kind of a very egocentric uh, with egocentric goals. It was all about me and uh, or us and what we would accomplish. And and in the end, it was really about these pilgrims, your 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 colleagues and, and what you could give to them and what you could, you know, whether my wife was uh, treating blisters because she's a nurse or I'm translating for a Polish person that doesn't speak Spanish. Huh. Uh, you, you know, that whole sense of giving and even a, even a young man who is very insecure, uh, handsome young kid. And he's saying, you know, I have a problem with my father and, I, you know, he tells me I'm no good. And and, uh, you know, I listened to him and I said, you know, look, dude, you're you're handsome and you're a nice guy. And he and he's, he said, really? No one's ever said that. So, you know, just just that sense of empathizing with others, listening to other people um, and uh, and really in the end, uh, ser- serving them to get closer to God, I think. I mean, that's. Yeah, you know, uh, Ken, one of the things I liked about your book, and, and I can't remember exactly where I read this in there, but you said you learned uh, hum- humility on the Camino, right? Um, yes. And I mean, I think that's essentially what you're alluding to here, but can you tell me, like, um, what you mean by that exactly? Well, humility, uh, just in the sense of, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not expecting anything in return. It's, it's uh, for me now, it's a one-way street. Uh, to, to give to other people. Uh, I don't have to crow about anything, uh, try to impress others. Um, it's, it's, you know, it, 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 I just, I just learned that, uh, and again, not to sound repetitive, but, uh, it, it really was about other people. It really was. So, you know, I like, I like too, that you called out it, and I've said this to my wife a million times when we've been in a car going somewhere, right? It, it's not about where you're trying to get. It's not the destination. It's a journey. Right. Yeah. And it makes Absolutely. her mad every time I say it, but it's true. It's like, I mean, you know, why not explore while you're on the way? Um, you, you kind of call that out in the book. Um, do you want to, do you want to talk about that? Well, I mean, uh, for, for us, it was uh, the, the, the anticipation of, of waking up every day and there would be something new and it would, it may, it may happen to you uh, just over that hill or around the bend. Uh, but this, just this, uh, you know, just let it and and letting it, uh, let the whole experience flow, not pushing anything, just accepting things as they come. And, uh, that was, that was one of the greatest lessons on this, uh, trip because, you know, you're in the real world. When you're in the real world, you know, you're, there's anxiety and you're pressing and everybody's in a rush, in a hurry. Uh, and it was one of the first times in my life where, um, you know, I could reflect. I could, I could, we could, I could, we could, uh, I could think about people that had um, in my life that had meant so much to me, uh, the people that had loved me and I had loved them. And so there was a lot of time to, to think about those things and to you know, where have I come from and where am I going? There was uh, plenty of time for that. And in the meantime, uh, every, every experience was, was a blessing. It just, you know, from the, uh, the, uh, 
the the girl the the girl with the little little girl I guess uh, she uh, you know it, it, just everything uh, the the one gypsy the gypsy girl in the uh, outside Pamplona just uh, that whole um, exchange just kind of boosted my spirits uh, filled me with uh, such joy uh, from and these were children uh, that were playing handball if if you remember that 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 part yeah I do I do. And it just kind of uh, filled me with the energy and the happiness to uh, just forget about my the pain in my leg and to and to complete the journey. So, um, yeah, it, you just have to step back and say, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be uh, less of, of me and, and I'm going to try to give more to them. It, you know, another thing, Ken, that you said in the book, which I, I really, really liked and I kind of zeroed in on a few things that you had written, but. Um, you, you know, I can't remember where you said this in the book, if it was at the very end or, or maybe in the, in the foreword, but you basically said you don't have to find yourself. You don't have to be a changed person. It's more important that you just went out and did it. I love that because that's really true. Cause I think a lot of times, you know, people these do these long distance hikes and they think that they're going to come out of it and be a completely new person or a changed person, but you know, that doesn't really matter. That's not what it's about. And I, I love that you called that out. I mean, can, can you, can you yeah. add to that? Uh, <laughs> you're putting me on the spot there. Uh, I, I don't know if I can, I can add to that to be, to be honest with you. Um, you know, when you go through something like that, uh, you're just hoping, you know, whether it's a, one of these huge hikes on the Pacific Crest Trail or AT, I, I think you're just trying to learn something about yourself. Um, it's as, I think it's as simple, as simple as that. You know, I don't, I, I don't see, you know, I don't expect a, uh, transformation, uh, complete transformation of my personality or anything like that. But I do, I do expect to learn something, uh, to learn something about myself. So you I don't know if I've answered your question, but well, I mean, you definitely have a lot of time to think without a doubt. I mean, and so there, there's a tradition, which I just found out about, about passing the shell. Um, so my friend, as I mentioned, uh, Philip three dub, who's been on the podcast previously, uh, we were on a hike just this month and, uh, he said, I have something for you. I have a present. And I'm like, okay, you know, I, I had no idea what he was talking about. So we're on my, this hike, uh, in Georgia and he, hands over the shell and he's like this is it i'm passing the shell it means like you're next you're up mm -hmm. uh, is there somebody you're passing the shell to oh absolutely uh and my wife uh, made sure that that happened okay uh, and and those are those are passed to my to our daughters our twin daughters ah and nice so we're, we're trying to get them uh, onto the camino it's it's tough you know they're they're working they're trying to make uh, make a life for themselves they're single girls okay uh, but, uh, you know, we've, we've done so much traveling and hiking together. So we're, we're trying to make that happen. Go back. I think, uh, I think, uh, my wife is trying to get back there for the Jubilee year in oh, 2020. God, that's when the numbers go crazy, right? That's like the I religious know. year, isn't it? I know it is. It is. And, wow. and uh, but we're going to, you know, we would do the short, uh, 60 mile uh, okay. version okay. just so okay. that the girls kind of wet their appetite on, on that, on the hiking of okay. that Camino. Yeah, that's interesting. Any other, uh, I mean, you know, you're pretty well traveled, obviously, but is there any other countries that you want to explore? And I'll, I'm going to say on foot, right? Because I know you've been probably to a lot of places. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd like to visit uh, visit Norway uh, because of my uh, family. I have some family roots in in, uh, in Norway. Oh, love Norway. Uh, love it. Actually, just go back a couple podcasts. I did an interview with a girl that uh, 
just hike through uh, one of the big parks there. So love oh, Norway. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Uh, I've heard some great things about oh, Norway. Norway's incredible. Incredible. Highly recommend it. That's what I've heard. Um, you know, China and India have always intrigued me, but I don't know if I'd be hiking through those uh, countries. But uh, we have, uh, Aurora and I have talked about uh, going to, to Nepal and trekking up to the uh, Everest uh, base camp. Oh, cool. That uh, that that seems exciting. Uh, I followed some friends who did that uh, last year, and um, it's it's quite. It looks like quite a challenge, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I think we're running out of time. So we're going to have to. If we do it, we have to do that quickly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, uh, you're you're putting out a pretty good playbook here, Ken. That's for sure. Yeah. Any any other trails that are on your list, like any of the big U.S. trails or. Uh... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, now, of course, in uh, in my backyard, uh, we have the PCT. And uh, my uh, boss at the FBI, he did that when he, when he retired. It took, took him four months uh, to do it. And his wife uh, wrote a uh, fictional book about, about his trip, by the huh. way, okay. uh, which is uh, interesting. Uh, but I'd say the PCT and uh, I always wanted to do uh, the uh, at least at least a piece of the Appalachian trail um it's harder because we're on the west coast now but uh and, and i don't have any um you know expectations that i could do the whole thing uh you know i understand it's a very very difficult to do that but i would like to do at least a section or two of the appalachian trail 100 mile wilderness in maine right before the end is what oh. i would recommend a phenomenal <laughs> thank Amazing. you i'm writing that down yeah i'm unbelievable like absolutely my favorite part of the entire trail Wow. But wow. but cool. very remote. Just be prepared for that. Wow. Cool. Yeah. And Thank there you. there may not be any um, albergues or wine or <laughs> dinners waiting for you. I'm pretty Great. sure. Great. Hey, I just want to call out, too, that when I threw hike the AT, I uh, was uh, with an FBI guy that had just uh, retired. And, wow. Uh, his name was that... Howdy. He was from Mississippi. I think maybe Tupelo, if I remember right. But just want to call that out. All right. His first name wasn't Laird, was it? L-A-I-R-D. No, um, that was a guy from Mississippi I, I worked with. Yeah, you know it's funny because uh, you know everybody by trail names, so I, I can certainly get his name for you, and I'll shoot you an email. But I, I honestly don't remember. Gotcha. Um, Thanks. But hey, you know we we've been talking here a lot. I haven't given you a chance to pitch your book. It's your Camino. How can people find your book? How can they follow you? Um, help yeah, them find you. Sure. Sure. Uh, we're, so we're on uh, Amazon. And, uh, you know, it, it's your Camino, uh, one couple's 500-mile uh, pilgrimage across Spain. Uh, it's in uh, Kindle and uh, e- uh, slash ebook, and uh, also in paperback. And, you know, you could, uh, you could find it also on my website, which is uh, kennethstrange.com, kennethstrange.com. Uh, okay. So it's, it, it's out there, and uh, I, I think the readers will like it. It's uh, I look at it as kind of a, a potpourri of uh, some humor, some history, some spirituality. It's I think it's got uh, it's got a, a lot of different things in it. Okay, awesome. Well, and again, congratulations on getting that out there. I know how much work goes into it. Um, I, I guess as a final question, Ken, can you uh, give any closing advice for a prospective uh, hiker on the Camino? You know, I would just say uh, don't miss it. I think it's a wonderful experience, and uh, 
uh, go into go into it uh, with a few expectations and just let it uh, come at you let it flow into you uh, relax and uh, another thing is uh, pay attention to your footwear because you're going to be walking 500 miles or si even 60 miles so make sure you have some good uh, shoes some good socks and I think you'll be good to go <laughs> that's good advice well Ken thank you for uh sharing your Camino experience tonight. Uh, I really enjoyed your book. It's been great talking to you. I think Thank your backstory is super fascinating and I uh, certainly wish you the best. Maybe, maybe I'll be talking to you again about another book sometime. That sounds great, Steve. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Into Backpacking Podcast. This is your host, Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this show, visit iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And give us a thumbs up or a positive comment while you're there. You can also download shows directly from intobackpacking.com. Just click the podcast tab on the main menu. Music for this show was provided by Jerris under a Creative Commons license and is titled Hillbilly Anarchy. This show is a production of N2 Backpacking and is copyrighted by N2 Ventures Inc. For more information on this podcast or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at n2backpacking.com. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com. <laughs>